Hey everybody, it's Eric from HatchetCast, and thank you for checking out another HatchetCat episode here on Spotify, our guest-only episodes. Today I have a special guest with me, Mike from AT Armor, and today we're going to be talking about the world of body armor, some misconceptions, some way to buy smart, and also kind of a little bit about the history of armor. Um, but Mike, thanks again for joining us, and uh, yeah, how are you doing today? Hey Eric, it's great to be on here again. Uh, yeah, it's good to see you. I'm um, looking yeah. forward to the conversation. You know, armor is nothing fun to talk about. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's about as confusing as night vision, but nowhere near as fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm definitely excited to learn something about armor, and uh, um, yeah, but I'd love to learn some more stuff about yourself. So give us a brief intro about what you did and where you come from and what brought you into the world. Yeah, I, of I grew armor. up in Southwest Virginia in the Southern Appalachians, uh, so I am literally a hillbilly, right? So. I grew up in the mountains there, um, ended up uh, enlisting in the Army, the reserve component, for about four years while I was in college. I uh, got my degree from Virginia Tech and then got commissioned as an officer. So as an enlisted dude, I was an 11 Bravo in a scout platoon. So, you know, 100% reconnaissance background uh, going into that. Got commissioned as an armor guy and did 21 years uh, inside the Army, um, you know, all over the place uh, as mortar platoon leader, tank platoon leader, HHC company commander, S3, XO, you know, typical track for an officer. Um, a lot of time in uh, leader development. Uh, so that's really where, where I spent a lot of, uh, a lot of effort uh, for the Army was writing doctrine and inside of that leader development program, especially for the officer corps. And then I uh, punched out in 2010, went and became a contractor for a few years and uh, decided to want to do my own thing. So we, we, you know, we cracked the seal on, uh, it used to be, Appalachian training, and then it kind of morphed, and I was like, okay, nobody can spell that, nobody can find the website, so we just, uh, we renamed and kind of went with our core value, which was uh, the armor piece. Um, so yeah, we're, we specialize in body armor, and uh, with uh, an ever-expanding foothold into the uh, the tactical nylon world as well, and you'll see a lot more of that come out this year. Nice, yeah, that's something that we're super excited about, and is definitely... Uh, something that is much desired, especially in the industry. So kind of something, kind of looking back a little bit, you know, from the time that you were in the Army, um, how has armor evolved from your perspective from then till now? It, you know, to be honest, it was it was a, a leap ahead, and it was driven by, you know, driven by G-Watts. So the advent of the, the sappy plates was what really, what really changed it for individual body armor. Um, you know, of course, we're not talking vehicle armor. We're talking uh, individual. Before then, it was uh, we were frag only. So you know the old flak vests, like you see, uh, you know Vietnam guys running around in, and uh, you know that was something similar to what the, uh, the the more modern flak vest was. And then if you see footage from, you know, say Grenada, that's really where you see a lot of pictures of guys wearing the the flaks. But they're you know. That is frag only, so it's for indirect fire or, or fragments, when I say frag only. And, uh, you know, a rifle or a pistol round, well, rifle round is going to punch through it. It would stop some pistol rounds, but it was it was designed as a as a anti-fragmentary vest. Then, uh, you know, we see the Rangers in Somalia, and the, the RBA, the Ranger body armor that they were wearing, really started to to kind of set the tone and the lessons learned out of that. And big army was like, okay, you know what? We really need to, to get some plates on our guys, get some rifle protection on our guys. So that was kind of 
how that crept in and then it just took off you know after after 2001 um and then we we essentially have what we have during that that two decades you know not a lot has changed in there um some of the the technology and the makeup especially on the outside of the government side or outside of the uh, dod side has changed a good bit but there's been no real like crazy breakthrough technology for um you know for hard plate armor um you know you hear guys talking about you remember dragon skin did you ever hear hear that you're you're a lot younger than than i am but you remember hearing about that when i i remember that actually in a um whenever there's a defense expo and i remember it was yeah. a big deal and i feel like so i came in in 08 and it was like i think when we got to the squadron it was like wow like this new innovative armor it's a lot more flexible and it's like what is this magical stuff yeah yeah, and it was uh, it was snake oil, you know. It's it just it proved to not be what it what, what it was supposed to do, and and it was uh, you know it was a non solution to a real problem. Um, so now you know we got uh, you know ceramics and laid up over polyethylene or you know compressed polyethylene, and that's that's really the standard. Or you've got monolithic ceramic as well, but you know the the big breakthrough has still yet to yet to appear yet to materialize you know of course companies are working on stuff all the time trying to push the boundaries but we are seeing a lot lighter with a lot more capability and that's just a function of how that those layers are laid up and how you know the type of ceramics that are used so we have seen a good weight savings you know you can find a three and a half pound plate that's going to stop a you know m2 ap 30-06 ap rounds so you know we're we're starting to get there um but I don't know what the leap ahead technology is going to be. Uh, you know, I'm not a not a chemical engineer or materials engineer. So you know, those guys, it's it's pretty amazing talking to those dudes and hearing, you know, their take on things. And man, they start talking, and it just a lot of it just kind of goes over your head. It's like, okay, you know, it's we're just not not where we need to be yet. Industry is the same way. It's like, look, dude. I just shoot them and I shoot them fast. I don't need to know like what the chemical compound is of the frame of the gun and like all that other stuff, but they get super excited about it. And it's, yeah. uh, it's something that is just like, I'm assuming any industry you get the engineers involved and they get super excited about the specs. It um, is, man. It's easy to wind them so, up. You know, you pull the cord and it just, <laughs> yeah, they're going to go. Before you know it, you're daydreaming about what you had for breakfast. So like, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that I foreseen, you know, my my kind of introduction outside of the military is I remember my so my cousin, a family member, I'm not gonna say his name of course, but um, was in a very specialized unit in Germany, um, GSG nine as it's known. So he was in there during for a long period of time, but he has a lot of scars on his neck, and it's from he's been shot numerous times during numerous conflicts, stab wounds and things of that nature. But he has scars from the frag from his steel plates that he had in his vest. And this is back in the 80s. So, like, what they had was innovative. But at the same time, like, he has some remnants of that evolution in uh, wearable armor um, that he wears every day. And, man, he's a, a testament to how armor has evolved throughout the time. Yeah, and you know what? Anybody that's listening to this right now, I want you to rewind about 35 seconds and listen to that again and consider what you're buying. Um, because, you know, that that piece of technology has not changed and physics has not changed. Yeah, around's got to go somewhere. And uh, into your neck or into your uh, 
and your buddy's neck that's standing uh, 45 degrees off to your side is probably not where you want it to go. Yeah, it's something that um, I remember. I mean, we shoot, obviously, we shoot steel every day, and it's one of those things like there's that anti spall that is advertised now, but it's still one of those things like, man, it, I mean, it, it has to suck already getting hit in with ceramic pa- plates when it has that ability to absorb a lot more of that shock. But with that steel, man, that energy has to go somewhere, and your body is what's right behind it. Yeah, it's, it's energy transfer, and that's, you know, the, the ceramic. I mean, it's, it's done when it gets shot. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. And it's, it's kind of laughable when guys talk about armor selection and having that as a consideration, you know, roaming the wastelands with a uh, steel plate because it's going to last through, you know, a hundred engagements. Okay. Yeah. You probably won't (laughs) number one. And number two, it's, it's a false, you know, it's a false argument. What are some mix, misconceptions that you've seen specifically? Because I know, I, honestly, like the steel is a lot cheaper. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, how do I weigh price versus, yeah. versus you know, so get, can I get something right now versus waiting a little bit and get some higher quality of a different material? So kind of, I know the economy is really crappy right now, but still people's money is hard earned. And it's something that I don't think should be wasted on a product that's not going to one save your life because you're wearing that weight for insurance so that's a you know it's an insurance policy um you know and there's you know i've just kind of talked about it before you know is the uh that armored triangle there are three legs on that that triangle when you're selecting a selecting armor there's cost there's weight and there's performance you get to pick two so you can have something that is is lightweight it's going to perform well, but the cost is going to be fairly significant. So going into it, you just kind of have to have to understand that that there's going to there are going to be trade offs. Number one trade off for a lot of folks is cost. Um, and you know when you see things like you know an an eighty dollar uh, plate, one hundred percent of the time it's going to be steel. Uh, you know you're not going to find a viable U.S. made um, ceramic plate for you know, for 80 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever, whatever they're selling for now. Um, you know, steel has its place, but the place it has, it, it should not be decided upon due to cost. You know, there's some low vis applications, you know, some, some times when steel does make sense, but it's, you know, it's true curvature, multi-form steel. That's, that's going to hug the body that you can hide underneath, you know, a light jacket, that kind of thing. Some low vis, low vis ops, that's where it's it's got a, a place. It really, you know, having the place because it only costs sixty bucks or however much, is probably not a good criteria to use. So what we what we tell folks is to really your your backwards planning, and you start with the the most likely threat that you anticipate. You know, no nobody's going to, you know, have any idea what you know all the threats that they're going to face, but you know, generally you're like, okay, this is probably the most likely threat or threats I'll face. And this is, you know, by caliber and type when I talk about threats uh, related to plate armor. Uh, so you work backwards from there. Okay. My most likely is probably the street threats, you know, 760 by 39, M855 and 193. If I live to near a uh, military installation, 
um, we're starting to see spillover of the A1 stuff. So that might, might or might not be in your threat envelope, especially if you're a law enforcement officer. So, okay, how about battle rifle? You know, what are we taking off the, the streets? Are we, are we picking up dudes with FALs? You know, are there a lot of guys with FALs or Garands? You know, what, what's, what's out there? And you just kind of weigh that out. Uh, a lot of times folks will be like, well, you know, I need a level four plate. Okay, you know, do you really need a level four plate? Because level four means M2, armor piercing, 30-06, one hit. And, I mean, it'll pick up other stuff, but that's, that's really all that level four me, means according to the, the NIJ. So, you know, do you really need a level four plate? Well, when you kind of unpack it and find out some of the other stuff that a particular plate will cover, yeah, your threat envelope might be in there, but just to, to blanket, say, you know, I went to level four, it's, it's probably not where you want to start as the, the default position. Yeah, I know that's something that uh, that is a big question about level three versus level four. Um, and I think the other thing that's also needed to be weighed outside of what you're making is also your mobility. Understand the more the more protection that you add, the less your mobility. So you're making up for that lack of mobility by added protection. But at the same time is speed power is, is speed protection. Um, so those are some other things I think that folks don't really think about, or maybe they do, but I don't think the majority weigh that as something in their equation about what they should be getting. Um, understand if I don't have, if in an ideal world, I would rather not wear a plate. I would rather be as mobile as I possibly can. The, the reality of it though, is if I want some protection, I have to go with the next best thing and you can't have it all. Right. You can't, you can't have it all. There's no free chicken. You know, that, that armor triangle, that thing with, you know, cost, performance, and weight, that's, that's just the initial piece of it. But doggone, man, you know, everything, everything comes back to that Met TC, you know, that how to lay that in and make that as a kind of a framework for that decision. Same thing, you know, you're, you're maybe your mission set. And that's part two of this, this decision-making is, okay, what's your, what's your mission? What's your role? Uh, you know, what, what are you going to be doing? What do you anticipate doing? And that's balancing out that, you know, that, that weight piece, you know, what's, what's your weight tolerance for it? Uh, you know, do you, are you going to give up a seven pound plate for, for M2 AP protection, give up a seven pound plate, maybe pick up a special threat plate that is four, four and a half pounds, maybe five pounds that stops, uh, you know, M855, M855A1, and 762AP. So yeah, the, <clears throat> the trade-offs are there. But like you said, mobility, yeah, I would rather not wear armor as well. And in some cases and scenarios that, that we inside the community have kind of worked through and talked through, yeah, you, you're probably not going to be wearing it. But when you are wearing it, it's got to be a deliberate process of like, okay, man, you know, what what am I doing? Um, you know, do I, do I want 20 pounds? on me i'm not going to be able to carry that much more water uh so it's it's all those trade-offs you know what's the weather like what time of year it is is it you know what's the what's the threat what's the enemy and it it's all a balancing act you know it's funny is like the other thing i hear a lot in and i'm curious what your opinion what your take is on this well if i get level three and i add soft armor on it um isn't that good enough or maybe I can get an old decertified army vest, like an IOTV and already has flak in it and then throw a plate in there. What about that? Things will only get better. 
um, but things don't change, right? That that hard plate is certified for it's either a standalone plate or an ICW and in conjunction with ICW used to be, you know, that was took up a lot of the market, but we've really kind of seen that that fall away because guys were wearing plates over over soft armor packages, and they could get they could get to level three by doing that. Now remember, there's all, there are only two uh, actual certifications from NIJ right now because <laughs> the standards are outdated, like horribly outdated. So there are only two. It's either a level three or a level four. That is it, right? So level three is stops six hits of 7.62 by 51 M80 ball. Level four, it stops one hit of M2AP 30-06. That's it, man. And it's not... And it's not cumulative, so a four is not also a three. A four is a four is a four, and that's it. So, you know, it's either or. Now, companies do a, well, legitimate companies do a really good job of laying that out and saying, hey, it's level four certified, but it's also tested by the same lab for these threats. So those are all stacked in underneath it. So long way around the barn to say, well, yeah, you could throw it over, you know, a, a ballistics package, a soft ballistics package. Things are only going to get better. Uh, you're only going to get better protection, but nobody knows what that really is, you know, unless you go shoot your stuff and do your own, you know, backyard lab, but it, you know, you're only going to do that once and then you got to, got to rebuy, but it's, it's not a viable course of action, you know, unless the plate was designed for that and it's got exactly what's supposed to be behind it, you know, 27 layers of KM2 Kevlar behind it will achieve level three. Okay, you know, if you got 26 layers, you might have a, a shoot through. So it's, you're just rolling the dice. But if you've got a level three certified plate, you put it over a, a soft ballistics package, things will only get better. What about, so when you were in the army back during the early GWAP portion and you guys were issued out that IOTV, or what was the vest that was the interceptor, I believe, where it kind of opened in the middle? Yeah, the IBA, it kind of opened over on the, on the side. Yep. Yeah. So whenever you guys were adding all that extra Kevlar, from my understanding, I mean, that was mostly to counter the IED threat that was so prevalent versus necessarily stopping rounds. That that sappy plate was rated as an ICW. Yeah. So it was the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, yep. I, I think the biggest thing that I get, especially from older guys that have family members that are in the military that have maybe go to a surplus store and things of that nature is the IOTV and for those army guys who were listening, it was a heavy system. <laughs> yeah. And there's a reason why guys, I mean, I, the fact that the military put dudes in that was they thought that they could solve a problem by putting people in a bulletproof and fragmented blanket. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you look at the special operations community, they prefer to go lighter weight, more mobility and more speed for survivability. So it kind of goes back into, and now if you look at things, the industry is shaped that way as well, like preferring lighter weight mobility because remember the only thing you're not, you're not just carrying armor. You've got ammo, you've got water, you've got helmet, you've got weapon, extra tools right. and equipment for whatever your specialty is or whatever your job's going to be. So um, adding in all that on top of a ballistics yep. package <laughs> that's literally just a, a Kevlar burrito and you end up becoming almost ineffective. Yeah, and that's that's that whole process and that trade-off. Unfortunately, you know, guys can make that decision for themselves if they're not in the not in the professional community. But uh, you know, we st we're still having uh, you know police departments that are saddled with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a little, little different, little different mission. But uh, 
Wow. Yeah, it's nothing that you would want to you'd want to do the walkabout on um, or in. You know, some of the some of the YouTube challenges over the last couple of months of you know I know you've seen them with guys doing you know like the the seventy two hour loadout. Holy hand grenades, man! You know that stuff. You know, putting a ballistics package on top of that or underneath that, it's it just becomes untenable. You know, you just end up leaving stuff behind. It's yeah, guys cannot operate like that. You know what's funny is it's 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 interesting to see the bigger the ruck and ex- the expectation that you're going to throw that on top of your plate carrier is not only are you one you're fatiguing yourself which means you have to replenish that energy but two if you're trying to get somewhere quietly and not just yeah. be a walking supply box you know like it's it's almost impossible um as far or if you're trying to do it under any sort of timeline or time constraint so you either are sacrificing your stealth in order to carry the extra armor um, but if you're not planning on being engaged or trying your best to avoid the engagement then you need to, like you said, it goes back to Met TC. What what are what are some things that fulfill the criteria criteria to be able to get success on what I'm trying to have as my obje- objective? So, um, you know, throwing that armor on there is just yeah, and that absolutely, and that's why I'm I'm probably the worst armor advocate in the industry because growing up as a as a light infantry guy and and a scout platoon, I mean, we you man, you went as light as you could, um, you know, cause you're carrying, you're carrying extra ammo, you're carrying all your water, uh, you know, back, back then there was, you know, water purification was a, that was a, a Russian roulette game, right? It's, it wasn't like we have now, you know, you can, you can get away with carrying a little bit less if there, if there are water sources, but still, you know, you can't really count on that. So yeah, I mean, you're carrying water, you're carrying ammo, uh, you know, the, the travel light freeze at night. Remember hearing that? Yeah, that's a lot of fun, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, the, the counting on not being engaged. Um, I, I don't think you're just kind of wishing it away by, by saying that, not you personally, but one doesn't wish it away by saying that, but yeah, I mean, that is, that's gotta be part of it, you know, especially, uh, in the the reconnaissance role and the scout role, you're, if you're not in a direct action role, uh, and you don't, and that's not what you're going out for, yeah, man, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take armor. There's no way, you know. I'm I'm gonna run as light as I can. I'm gonna run maybe, you know, maybe four mags on my chest, maybe three, you know, radio some nods, and then you know you you're rucked up. But uh, but doggone, it's yeah, you do not want that extra weight. That's what I said, man. I'm I'm like the worst advocate for as an armor guy because for that for that role. Now, if you're inside of a city, giddy up, kitty cat. You better put your stuff on um, because it's the the threat is much different. Um, it and it all goes back to the Met TC. You know, that's man. It sounds like such a cop out, doesn't it? You know, just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. <laughs> it, it's it's. I will say though, man, like. Right now, we're seeing, I think, honestly, the first time in or in modern history where we're actually seeing armor-on-armor armor engagements out in Ukraine and how much armor is this just standardly worn. I mean, they're doing trench warfare and body armor. So, like, if anything, that should kind of put in perspective of, like, if there was a conflict, if there is something that does happen, 
majority majority of folks are going to want to put that armor on that they have and and just wear that because now you've got all types of other effects on the battlefield that you know i mean a lot of those ukrainians and and folks fighting over there this is their first exposure to combat maybe most of them probably never even were in the military but now they were picked up to do it and so now you see them being put in vests and being put in armor and sometimes it's not working so we're seeing a lot of casualties despite armor which shows either a lack of quality armor um or just the raw brutality of modern conflict or both yeah and you know that's totally totally different conflict i mean it's it's very conventional uh man i gotta send you the link to this dude he was uh, a british national that went and fought with the the legion there and he came back and he's done like this really cool series of aars uh interviews and he was talking about that he's like yeah man he said uh he's like yeah there was us over here you know in this line it was them over there in that line we're digging trenches and i'm like good golly man that's just like it it's unfathomable you know it's it's like how how did how did they get there from here but but yeah you know all those guys are jocked up they're they're wearing armor they're wearing helmets um so it's it, it's a different ball game and i think you just have to kind of try to visualize what you may get yourself into or what may be thrust upon you and uh and just backwards plan from that but you better have it ahead of time, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, whether it's armor or more ammo or whatever, because, you know, it, getting it after the fact is going to be, it's going to be a bit uh, tenuous. I think, I think personally, the, there are some things that I, for me, Eric does not, I don't, I don't really take lightly. I don't take armor lightly. I mean, anything that result, anything that's a life saving piece of equipment is not something that you should take lightly and for you know your rifle it could save your life i would make sure that that thing is topped off ready to go quality parts works well under stress because you need it to work when it needs to work same thing with armor when it comes to a ballistic helmet i'm very very opinionated about this but i i agree like high quality armor it is literally there to save your life and if you skimp on something it's like saying if the government did regulate, like I'm not for government regulations, but if people could have a choice in airbags, we'd probably have a lot more car deaths, you know, on the highway. If they could choose what great airbag they wanted in part of their car package, you know, like, so it's just that way of thinking. And I think changing the way that people think about armor as something that you don't want to save your money on. If you're going to save your money on, save money on something else, you know, like, hey, you can get away with this, but don't get away with something that's going to save your life. Yeah, because there's there's certain categories and you're you're exactly right that you do not want to you don't want to skimp out on um because it the the end result if it fails could be a lot more catastrophic uh you know it's it's a different it's a different animal altogether um and that airbag analogy man i'm going to use that i'm stealing that one you know if you could pick and choose your your model of airbag you know you would <laughs> you're gonna there's going to be some dudes out there that are going to meet steering wheels. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same, it's the same way. Like you look at guys that just like here in Florida, you don't have to wear a helmet, which is fine. But I mean, how many guys die in motor motorcycle crashes here in Florida? Cause there's like, ah, I get a helmet later. or It's not that big of a deal. Or they get something that's not rated, rated well, or has already been used. Um, now, 
when it comes to if I do get a set of ceramics, let's say I get some level threes, I get some Hesco 210s or something of that nature, good quality plates. Um, what are some things that I want to do to help maintain the life of that, that piece of equipment? Yeah, light, heat, water, and impact are all things that, that can do damage. Um, you know, you want to, if you, when you're storing them, just store them in a closet, you know, out away from the, the windows. Don't, don't store them long-term in your, in your vehicle. I mean, it's okay to, to have in your vehicle, obviously, but, uh, you know, for you, you know, the Florida sun, I would not, I would not leave those permanently in a vehicle, you know, take them in and out, uh, impact. I tell guys, look, you know, there, it's not a, a piece of China. It's not a, it's not a plate type ceramic, but don't throw your loaded ammo box down on your, your plate carrier in your trunk or in the back of your truck, you know, don't, don't abuse them. They'll take drops. Uh, you know, the, the certified plates go through a drop test as it is, and it's dropped onto to concrete under weight. So they will take an impact. It's, you know, that corner of that loaded, uh, caliber 50 can when you're going to the range and you throw it in on, on top of it, that's where you, that's where you may run into issues. Uh, but yeah, just take them out of the carrier. If they get wet, let them dry off. I mean, they're waterproof. There's a waterproof coating on them, you know, just, uh, just treat them right. And they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll really last for you. Uh, you know, warranty, uh, warranty's five years. Um, you know, I can't really say that service life is probably past that. You know what I mean? So it, uh, but they'll last a long time. Now, as far as the, um, let's just say, for example, I don't think that they do make smaller size plates for kids. I'm not sure if that's something that, but what are some ways that like, maybe I can pad the book pack of my child or something of that nature, just to give them some sort of protection. Could I just stick a regular medium plate for an adult in the back of a backpack to kind of add that protection for them? Yeah, you can. We, in fact, I wrote an article on that a few years ago. Um, it's, it's up on our website. Um, you know, is backpack armor a good idea? And, you know, we, as parents, we, we want to do as much as we can, you know, what's what if there's that one, that one chance that that might make a difference? Um, odds are it won't, you know, what, what are the odds of, but then you think as a, as a dad, you know, okay, well, well, what if there was that low percentage and kiddo happened to have it? You know, so it's like, it's something that you, you just have to wrestle with, but to answer your question, yeah, you can go with a, a, you know, you could throw a medium in there. You could throw a, a small in there or an eight by 10. I mean, dude, an eight by 10 plate is tiny. I mean, like really tiny. Um, you just want to make sure you get something that's got, got enough coverage, but you know, soft armor, we see that a lot for, you know, companies selling that as, as, quote unquote, backpack armor, dude, that active shooter, you know, soft armor is built for pistols. They're mostly running you know, rifles. I, yeah. I, hey, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So I mean, just, just got to be smart about it. I, I would rather see parents, you know, take their kids to a first aid class and buy a great IFAC and put it in that, put it in that bag and, you know, have your kid, you know, this, they're, they're old enough and large enough, you know, learning CPR, you know, stop the bleed, all that stuff. I would rather see folks buy that than, you know, uh, going to the, the backpack armor, to be honest. Wow. How has, um, how has, do you think the, if you do see the armor going 
in a certain direction in the future? Do you think it's just continue to be more lighter, maybe a different material outside of ceramic? Or what are some things that you've seen uh, as far as the future of what armor is going to look like? I think the changes are going to have to be uh, lighter. Um, NIJ, <laughs> and we've been hearing this for years, you know, the changing the standards uh, to add, you know, things like, Five five six seven six two by thirty nine. <laughs> it's it's laughable, really, that they're not even they, they don't even account for them. Um, so, you know, the technology and what the industry does will always follow that because there are a lot of uh, you know the government requirements, uh, agency requirements that have to follow that. Some have their own requirements in addition to, uh, you know, those standards like you know DEA standard, FBI standard, but it. Technology will kind of uh, kind of follow that, but again, I, I think we'll see lighter, we'll see maybe different materials. Um, I don't think they've they've wrung everything they can out of out of ceramics yet. Um, but yeah, as not not being a material material engineer, I don't know what's coming. I mean, there's stuff like you know the the overlapping plates and the soft rifle armor. I, everybody kind of looks at that with a, a mm -hmm. jaundiced eye, though, with it's like, OK, I, I kind of have my doubts about that. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of going back to that, because I know we're going to get comments on it. What was the big thing with uh, dragon the, armor or dragon scales? I remember there was a big deal. I remember even seeing it on TV one time on like the military channel. But can you give us a lowdown real quick on what that was? Yeah, I'm not crazy familiar with it, other than there was a huge push for dragon skin, especially uh, early GWAT, you know, when uh, when guys were getting hit with IEDs. And um, uh, what was his name? Doggone it. Uh, he, he'd written a book. Uh, he was like one of the most decorated soldiers ever. He's a World War II guy, very respected. But he came out as a big advocate for, for dragon skin. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we need this, we need this. But it it was you know it was an overlapping kind of thing, so it looked like it literally looked like what you thought dragon skin would look like, you know, like that snake skin as you described earlier. Um, so it was these overlapping things, and it but it was total snake oil. Did it did it actually have like was there any stoppage whatsoever, or was it like inconsistent on what it stopped and things got through? I don't know. Yeah, that I don't know the details on. Yeah, I'll have to look into that because now I'm curious. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, there are some some things that, uh, you know, having that, exp like, kind of going back, I always love to talk about expectation management as well because there are some um, misconceptions about what the armor can do for you. And it's, like you said, the NIJ, which is rated up for certain calibers, um, you know, having also that false sense of security saying like, oh, I got to play it on. It's like, it's fine. It's like, nah, man, like bull, I'm pretty sure you still would not want to get hit in the plate with an armor or with a piece of, with a caliber that can be stopped by that plate, let alone one that doesn't stop it. Yeah. And it's, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know why anybody would, would legitimately think that it's, you know, it's, <laughs> When you're armored up, I, I don't think, um, yeah, I really don't see anybody legitimately thinking that of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. So I'm going to, I'm going to go do something that's probably not in my best interest. It, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not as bad as, you know, in the, in the night vision world where guys think they're invisible when they're walking around with the MVGs. You've seen that a thousand times, I'm sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a lot more common than people. <laughs> Usually, people think they can buy capability, uh, which is is always interesting. But um, yeah, I bring that point up because there was a incident we had in Afghanistan. I want to say this is in 2010. I remember we got briefed on it, and eventually we got this uh, target. But uh, it was a Chechen sniper, female. Um, and she would have two male machine gunners. They usually had RPKs, um, or not, excuse me, RPKs, PKMs. Um, and so what they would do is they would travel as a group. So three people, um, and what they would do is they would maneuver on a FOB or a forward operating base. So they would, most of the times they would target the towers. Um, and so one of their ways that they would maneuver is they would, um, the two PKMs would, would come in an L shape, you know, on the flanks, they would start opening fire. Of course, the tower would respond with uh, 245 or M2, um, or just, you know, regular M4s or AKs if it was Afghans. And that would give her time to maneuver. And she was running a Dragonov. So it was a 762 by 54 which is a big flipping round. Um, and so, uh, but there was times where she was fast enough, she would be able to maneuver undercover and concealment within about 150 yards um, of these towers and um, would able to engage and neutralize most of the guards that were in the towers. There was actually one incident where um, she shot the gunner um, in the plate, went through the front, came out the back, and um, the assistant gunner turned to run out of the tower, shot him through the back, and it came out the front, and he fell out of the tower dead. So, I mean, as far as, as, far as that capability, that's the reality of it, is there are certain things where it's just still smart to to train in tactics and techniques that help provide extra cover in addition to your armor, in addition to the equipment that you have that will save your life. But it kind of goes also back to that training um, and not being naive about the reality of combat. Yeah, that's a, man, that's a great point. And because that goes hand in hand with the, well, okay, you know, it's only 10 by 12 or, you know, nine and a half by 12 and a half armor, you know, I, well, okay. I might get shot somewhere else. Yeah, you might, <laughs> but there's a nine and a half by 12 and a half piece of real estate over your chest that if you do, it's, you know, the outcome is going to be much better for you. So, man, it's, it's all trade-offs. And we've said that over the, the course of the last 45 minutes is just, just, you got to think through it. It's thinking man's game. Now, when I am, when I am getting that, Really, um, when, if, if I'm a smart individual and I do invest in quality life insurance for my armor, how do I size it properly? What's a good way as a good rule of thumb to make sure I'm getting the correct size for my body type? Yeah, it's, there's a pretty good guide on, uh, on our website, on our, on our website, as well as a lot of the others. Uh, the first issue is, you know, you got to wear it properly, which is up high, which sucks. And that super sternal notch or your jugular notch, that notch in the, the base of your throat, your top of the plate needs to ride right there. And that, it just, it's, it's very, uh, it's very uncomfortable. There's not going to be anything comfortable about it. So it's got to ride up there. So once, once you get that, that in place and know that that's the start point up top, uh, you got to make sure the width is correct. Um, and a good general guideline is you cover the outside of the nipple line, right? So that's, and that'll usually give you your, your dimensions. Um, if you talk to whoever you're buying it from, they should give you a, a good, a good idea. You know, it's always up to the, 
the indecision is always up to the customer or the buyer. Hey, you you got to pick your own size, but you know, good companies will help will help dudes select that so that they can say, all right, you know, what are your you know height, weight, what's your chest measurement or your coat size? Usually, that's the easiest thing to ask folks. You know, to get a get a size for how or get an idea how how big they are, how small they are, and then uh, and have them do that measurement that straight that straight line measurement and make sure that that plate covers that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's something that is super important. I remember, you know, at the unit, guys, you get these huge dudes, like 210, just stocky, massive, muscular dude, and he comes in with a small plate. And I'm like, dude, just trying to save the weight. And it's just like, bro, that's ridiculous. But making sure, like, instead of, that's one way it's like, don't save the weight there. Buy a quality plate. If you want to, follow the two rules of that triangle. Save up the money. Buy once, cry once. Um, cause at the end of the day, it's just a matter of time when it comes to the price. If you don't, you know, if you got to save up, it's just a matter of time before you get that high quality plate and you really spend the hard earned money that you have. Um, have you heard any horror stories of people buying wrong stuff or, or things of that nature that you'd be willing to share? Like, ah, oh, man, I bought this and I should have gotten it. And it's just, they finally end up buying that quality plate. <laughs> Believe it or not, most of those stories are out of police departments and it's, uh, it's like, Hey man. My department bought these for us, and uh, a lot of times the buyer may not be uh, a guy that's <laughs> that's on the street or is on a SWAT team. So they're the ones making the decision without the input of the uh, the end user. So you know you'll get the phone calls. Hey man, my department bought this. I'm not you know there's no way I'm using that. I need to buy my own. I'm like okay, you know here here we go. I won't name. Well, we talked about the uh, the type of materials a lot, uh, you know, in this podcast. But uh, a lot of times, when departments are really trying to save money, we haven't seen too much of that lately. But uh, you know, a few years a few years ago, we saw that a hey, my my department bought X, and because uh, they wanted to save money, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use part of my paycheck and buy my own stuff. It's authorized. Uh, it has to be a certified plate. You know by department policy, what, what should I get? And, uh, and then we go from there. That's usually the, the story that we have. Yeah. In law enforcement and you are in a leadership position, don't screw your guys over. I mean, it's your conscience that's going to rest upon on someone, something happens. Um, and, and some of the things I've, I've heard, and I'm not sure if you've heard these things as well, but, um, the possibilities of also internal injuries if you don't have penetration, if you're running that type of steel or running that type of stuff, that force has to go somewhere. Um, is that something that you've heard or? No, not that's not as much of the risk as the uh, the ricochet risk. And uh, you know, your man, your example up front of the neck scars, that's that's really that really demonstrates that. Uh, you know, of course, on the ceramic side, back face is a real thing, but it's Probably not as much of an issue as, as folks make it out to be. You know, NIJ standard is 44 millimeters, which is fairly significant. Um, but, you know, depending on the body type, you know, especially if a dude is, is fairly muscular, it's it won't be as, as much of a problem. Yeah, I know that. I mean, the biggest thing, I know that the, the GWAT has kind of, it, a lot of folks have been tired of the experiences and things that have come out of that. 
also the fact that the war was so long. But one thing to really take away from that is that those NIJ certified type plates and ceramics is what was used for most of that conflict and how many lives were saved because of that type of technology. Uh, and that's something that shouldn't be put to waste. You know, like um, there are countless dudes that have literally taken rounds to the plate and still went back on either continued fighting or were able to get medevaced and stayed alive without any punctured injuries. So that type of thing should be a testament unto itself as to the reliability of getting a quality ceramic plate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. A, a proven proven technology. I guess if you could call it technology, but uh, yeah, a proven piece of equipment. Is there, um, if you're talking to somebody that was a first-time armor buyer, what are some recommendations outside the triangle as far as that you would give them for their type of carrier that they should have or something to look at when they're getting a carrier for that plate? So, you know, they can either go plate carrier or armor carrier. I, you know, we'll just talk about plate carriers. And again, it goes back to, to requirements. Uh, it's more things that I would stay away from. Uh, I would stay away from uh, manufacturers that are out of the, the uh, Pacific Rim, specifically China. I would not buy anything uh, that was made in China as a plate carrier. Uh, those I have heard horror stories on, believe it or not, dudes were wearing those in, in theater, you know, stories that we heard back, uh, and literally guys dumping plates on the, on the ground because their carrier fell apart. Why anybody would wear that in that environment is beyond me. The stitch, the stitching is, is where it's at. You know, any good U S company, uh, that's the place to start, you know, just it, and you really won't go wrong. It's really the company's reputation and then find a design that works for you. You know, if you like, uh, if you like the JPC, go with the JPC. If you like BC 19, go to BC 19. If you like, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and the great thing about the market is there's some very, very economical, great carriers out there, you know, that, that have had the reputation within the community and are, and are durable. And they've got companies that'll, that'll stand behind them. So it, it just comes down to features and what you, what you want, you know, do you want to. Yeah. And there's no, no, yeah, there's no shortage of variety either. Like there's so many buyers choices now than compared to years ago, what we had. I mean, now you've got so many options. It's, it's yeah. insane as far as quality options outside of, <laughs> yeah. Chinese yeah. Don't do it. You know, just, I mean, yeah, if you want to buy your range bag to take to the indoor range, you know, if you want to buy something off Amazon to have at it, because if that thing gives that on you, all you're going to do is be embarrassed in the parking lot. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we have, you know, during our training sessions here, we see some interesting carriers, but we've seen a lot of people starting to ask the questions. I think the biggest thing is educating the people in the community, educating those who are listening to the podcast about how to make a smart choice um, and, and a choice that is worth your money and worth your invest in, investment. Um, what are some of, I know you, you guys, if you, if you don't want to answer this, cause you're trying to wait at, wait out, I understand. But if, what are some, some of the nylon things that you guys have coming down the pipe that you're excited about or, or can share with us? Yeah, sure. We've got a, uh, this is pretty close to, to release. So I can talk about it a little bit. We've got a, uh, a chest rig that's been in the works for a little while. Um, that'll be coming out and, uh, you know, I'll let you guys, you guys will get a, get a preview look at it. And of course we'll, We'll uh, let you take a, a sneak peek at it. Um, you know, some some pouches, some MVG stuff, 
and then uh, a couple of longer lead projects that will come out later in the later in the summer that we're really excited about. Now I know I know that you and I have talked about specifically, you know, back back when I was in early on, it was really cool to go with a slick plate carrier to wear a chest rig over top and kind of combine those. So now you could wear your chest rig that you always wore, whether it was on with a plate or without over top of a slick carrier that kind of went away with just a dedicated carrier because honestly the chest rig kind of went away for a while because armor was so prevalent. It was just wear it every time everywhere, all, no matter what the mission set was. And now we're starting to see that kind of specifically within this market, within the, the regular citizens market of just, having that slick plate carrier and then having the chest rig back over, it's almost come full circle. Um, what are your opinions on that? Do you think it's a good thing uh, or what? Yeah. I tell you, man, everything old is new again, isn't it? It's it, uh, yeah. Yeah. Blockbuster is going to come back in business someday. <laughs> There's still one hanging on. Did you know that? I know. Yeah. It's in, where's it? Is it Alaska? Oh man. I got to look that up now. It's my trivia for the night. Oh, I got to find out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, let me close the door real quick. The dog is going nuts. I think, I think we are going to see that trend back, and it's man, it's solely based on what you and I were just talking about with uh, the mission set and the scalability and being able to swap your stuff out, uh, especially as as a uh, as a citizen. Um, you know, we've got to got to really think through that stuff and having your your mags, you know, your chest rig attached to your plate carrier. Well, if you you know if you're not going to be wearing armor all the time, that's probably not the probably not the way to go for all the reasons that that you laid out. And, you know, you're going to want to strip that thing off. And okay, well, I take my plates off, and well, there goes my my IFAC, my ammo, my you know nods, all that stuff goes with it. So, and you don't want to have to be doing the detailed disassembly to put that stuff back together. Um, you know, especially in a time constrained environment. So I think we're I think we're headed back to I think we're headed back to chest rigs. Uh, but I think we're also headed back to chest rigs with the option of having a uh, slick, slick-ish plate carrier that can either be thrown in the ruck or, you know, worn when needed. And then you're able to wear the, the chest rig over it. You know, wearing a chest rig over a plate carrier is no fun either. You know, those things are, are sliding around and, you know, getting kind of, get they get kind of wonky on you. But they're, again, there's no free chicken, man. It just, you either, you either plug it into it or you wear it over it. You know, it's, it, it is what it is until we find a, find a different solution. No, a hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that I would do personally, and I still do, even if I'm wearing a standard plate carrier. So I run a, uh, uh, I run a Palm beach tactical, super, super slick. There's no Molly, no nothing. It's just Velcro in a bag. Um, and I run a chest rig over top of that, um, specifically for night vision stuff, just cause it's so slim and I don't want big bulkiness, especially when running night vision stuff, especially classes. Um, and I also run a cry AVS, which is that's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like it's framed out. It's got all the, it's, you know, hugs your body and helps you with posture. It's, it's awesome. Freaking makes breakfast for you. Like it's, it's an amazing carrier for, from cry precision, but it's also very pricey and, uh, and also bulky. So, um, having the, uh, the two different options of a super slick carrier with a chest rig or the heavy duty carrier at the end of the day just gives you more more scalability as to what you can do for your mission set. You're not kind of stuck to one thing. And that's if you have the budget for it. Um, so maybe it's something to build into. Um, luckily, I was enough to be able to get that type of stuff. But um, 
it's also hard to, uh, I mean, part of it's also, you got to be careful because it's like, there's a lot of gear nerds out there and I'm one of them and I can collect just as easily as everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, if you've got the, if you've got the, the means to have different setups and several setups that, yeah, absolutely. Giddy up, get after it. Well, cool, Mike. Thanks again for coming out and doing this episode with us. Is there any last uh, minute words that you want to say to our listeners about armor or some advice? Uh, you know, just, just be cautious. Uh, buy, you know, whatever you buy, it doesn't matter who it's from. Just, I would, I would recommend staying with a U.S. company. Uh, do not get sucked into the, the, the cheaper stuff that you can find from, from offshore. Again, that, that Pacific Rim. Uh, just stay away from it. Uh, don't buy used is the other piece because you do not know, you know, did that dude drive that thing like a rental car or did he take really good care of it? If it's somebody you know, if it's a buddy and you trust him, uh, maybe, and that's a hard maybe. But uh, yeah, d just don't go in the used market and buy, buy armor plates. It's not a good practice. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for sharing that with us. And if you guys want more information, obviously we have AT Armor's link below in this description, as well as check our Instagram link pages. We do have uh, AT Armor's website on there and you can actually save. We do have a discount code for, for them. So you can actually save some money when you're buying your quality plates. But like always, the biggest thing is make sure that you buy quality. Don't skimp out on that life insurance. And also, Remember, you cannot buy capability. So buying the equipment does not give you the skill set. You have to invest in yourself and in your training. The other thing is, if you want to go check out our YouTube channel, we have our Hatchet Cash show on YouTube, as well as any behind the scenes and photos from Tyler and Roy on Instagram. Um, and as always, if you got something out of this and you think that somebody else can get something out of this episode or the information is something that will benefit someone, please share this with somebody um, so that way they get the same information and can make an educated and smart decision, especially when it comes to life-saving equipment. Once again, Mike, thanks again for coming on, and we'll see you guys next time on the next Hatchetcast episode.